We'll be looking at a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you want to turn, your, turn in your Bibles to there, we'll get to it in a minute. But at Bethel Church, when you are on staff there, there are certain requirements that they have each year. And one of those is that you have to do a self-evaluation. And they send it to you, and then they ask you questions like, how did ministry go? Uh, did you meet your ministry goals? Uh, different things like that. And then it goes to your supervisor. In my case, it's Pastor Jared. And he will review what I self-evaluated about myself. And he'll tell me, Bill, you know, maybe you're looking through rose-colored glasses in this area. Maybe you hit the mark in this area. But anyway, we have good discussion, and it's good. We also need to do a, a self-evaluation on things like SMART goals. What are our ministry and personal goals for the upcoming year? And uh, some of the things we look at are maybe like attendance goals. Or in my case, one of the things I really uh, pray a lot about is that our students take the next step in their faith journey, whether it's trusting Christ as Savior for the first time or if it's getting baptized. And, and so I look at that and evaluate that. And how am I going to disciple better? Uh, you you kind of get the picture. What are the things that would help me meet these ministry goals? Whether it's other resources, sometimes I need additional people to love on students as well. But there's also personal goals. What are my spiritual goals for the next year? How can I be better in my time alone with God? And that's why I said to you about that Bible reading plan. It's a good way to jumpstart that. How can I be held accountable at that time? Because the reality is, friends, Christian brother and sister, you can't lead someone to a place that you are not at. And in ministry, I can't lead someone to a place that I am not at spiritually. Some of my personal goals. What does it look like in my marriage? How are Shelly and I going to have better uh, Saturdays with Shelly, our date, uh, date nights, uh, exercising, staying in shape, things like this. So what we have to do, and we do that in October and November. But now, some of you may have come here this morning, and you're starting to hear the word 2023. And if you woke up this morning and didn't realize it, it is a new year. It is 2023. And so welcome to 2023. Some of you, if not all of you, may have made New Year's resolutions. How can I... Uh, try to make myself better by maybe kicking a bad habit. Eating better. I don't even think about that. Exercising more. How do I do better in relationships? And some of you, if you are honest, came here this morning and made a New Year's resolution not to make a resolution. Here's the trouble with New Year's resolutions. The majority of those will be made, will be broken by the end of the month. And there is this free feeling of, oh, well, I tried, but next year I'll try again. Or maybe it's a frustration. I keep failing. I can't overcome this. This is tough. And my title for my message this morning is, New Year, New You, but... It's a new year, 
but do you really need a new you? So let's go to our passage in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. I'm going to start at verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but live for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, if you had your Bibles open, you would see the verse right before that. Paul, is, he says this. He says, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Think about that statement there. If we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is because of you. That's a kind of excitement Paul has about Jesus. He's saying, this is unbelievable. It's one of those moments in your life that bring you this great joy and this great excitement. Maybe your first child is born. You go, oh yeah, we're parents. Or maybe the day you got married or that first grandchild or the new job promotion. There's just this excitement and you're so excited about it. It overflows your being. And Paul... The apostle, as he writes this, his joy is overflowing because of Jesus. For the love of Christ controls us, and because of this we have concluded this. The, I have come to this realization, the apostle Paul says, I am controlled by the love of Christ. I'm so excited, I just can't hide it. I'm overwhelmed and I can't control myself, but Christ's love controls me. Why? Because one died for all. His statement of saying that uh, we have concluded, it, he's saying this, it's not some random fact that someone told me. You know, I was in Florida a couple weeks ago. I, um, the sacrificial servant that I am drove my mother's car down for her. And... Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got down there and it's 72 degrees well the next morning I go running on the beach and it's very nice outside I have shorts and a t-shirt on and later that day uh, Shelly calls me and she says have you looked at the weather I go yeah it's 72 outside it's really nice she goes no have you looked at the weather you're supposed to come in Thursday night and I go and I want to stay here as long as possible. And she goes, no, that, we've got a really bad storm coming in. And I go, are you kidding me? Now, I knew she wasn't kidding me. But I also knew that I didn't want to come home to minus 22 degrees. And so I said, really? She goes, no, look it up. Check it out. So I went on my weather app and I look and all these red flags are going, oh yeah, the world is coming to an end. It's going to, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know how the weathermen are? They love catastrophes. 
And so I'm looking at him going, ah, my wife is right, as usual. And so I call her back and I said, yeah, I looked at the weather. Can we reschedule my flight to come in a day early? You know, it wasn't that I didn't believe her. It's just I didn't want to come back to this terrible weather. But here's what Paul is in essence saying. You know, we heard it, we saw it, but this is a fact. We have come to this fact. We have concluded this. It's not a random fact. It's not a rumor in the rumor mill. We have researched this ourselves and we have judged this. It is in good faith and careful conclusion that we have come to this. And I believe it on a very deep level. He says this, I have concluded that one died for all. Now that's a pretty amazing fact when we think about it. It also seems very complicated, but very simple in the same way. One died for all. So does that mean that one died for all people? Yes. It does mean that. Christ did die for all of humanity. But here's the disclaimer. It is believers in Jesus Christ that reap the rewards of eternity. And maybe you are here today and you are saying, I'm not sure exactly what you're saying about that fact. Those who trust that Jesus Christ died for their sins, take a step back. We have to acknowledge that we are sinners. Sin separates us from God. But those who say that Jesus Christ died for my sins receive the reward of eternity in heaven. They receive the reward, and this is really cool, of the Holy Spirit working in their lives on a daily basis. If you are here today and have never trusted that Jesus Christ died for your sins, that he is your Savior, I'm going to just tell you straight up, you're missing out on eternal rewards. Romans 5.8 says this, but God shows his love for us in that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. One died for all. Sin separates us from this relationship with a holy and perfect God. And if we are separated from God, how do we get back into that relationship? Well, it's very simple. Jesus took upon himself the curse that should have been mine, that should have been yours. So too he died the death that we should have died. Therefore, all have died. Now, when I say that, we didn't all die because we're still living. We didn't die a physical death because of Jesus' death. We die a physical death because of sin and the world in which we live in. But our sins died with Jesus and that's an amazing fact. This is an ultimate demonstration of his love for us. That love of Christ that controls us. That those who live, that's a common theme for Paul, those who live, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What does that mean to us? It means this, our life is not our own. And you may have come in here this morning and wanted to think that your life was all about you. Your life is not about your own. We were dead in the law. No matter how good you think you are, no one keeps the law perfectly. James tells us that if you break one of the law, you've broken the whole law. And I've been to Midway Airport a couple different times in the last few weeks. And there is an establishment on one side of the road that says it's called slightly sinful. You can't be slightly sinful. You're completely sinful. There's no slightly in this. God says there's no one good. No, not one. But now, but now, it is Christ who lives in me by me trusting him as my Savior. And because of that fact, we live for others. In a world that is all about me, have it your way, just watch commercials for a little bit. You are the most important person in the world. The world continually continually tells our teens life is all about them. Just look at social media. Watch how everyone, including yourself, posts on social media. I, I have to be honest. All the kids were in for Christmas. We took like 44 pictures of the same thing until we got the right picture to post on social media. No one wakes up in the morning and sits up in bed and grabs their phone, takes a picture and goes, I'm ready for today. No. We, get, we craft it all because it's all about me and I want to look good. We are crafted with multiple takes and retakes to get the best side and we come to believe that yes, life is all about me. He died for all that we who live... We who have put our trust in Christ for our eternal salvation might, not, might no longer live for themselves. But if we don't live for ourselves, then who are we supposed to live for? Well, we're supposed to live for him who died for us and was raised from the dead. We live for Jesus. You might say it's all about him. And that brings on a different context for living. Not that I'm trying to be a better person or make a New Year's resolution. I'm striving to live like Jesus. My life needs to be as much as I can reflective of the life of Jesus. How do I mirror that life? I will fail miserably, but how do I strive for that? I, we need to take a look at his earthly life. I think that's a, a great way to start. Okay, he did spend time with his small group of 12, right? He also took his small group of 12 everywhere he went, except when he would go away to be with his father, to spend time alone with his heavenly father. He spent time with the sick, 
even physically touch those who you were not allowed to touch. He spent time with people that the religious order of the day said, these people are not worth anything. They are prostitutes. They are scum of the earth. They are tax collectors. You don't need to be spending any time with him. But Jesus spent time with him, them. Jesus didn't have a secret service detail, except maybe Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane when he cut the guard's ear off. But for the most part, Jesus lived his human life outside of a human comfort zone. And we, you, me, sometimes get so comfortable in that Christian bubble. We're okay being there. And I see when I am there and I start to really hate that bubble and I just want to pop that bubble. It's, it's this. Just because we believe that the gospel is a life and death matter doesn't mean that we as Christians need to live as though we are dead. We too many times are worried about the, what the religious leaders, what our religious friends will say, will think. I don't see Jesus being concerned about what the religious leaders of the day would think. I read a book a number of years ago, and I, I love the, the one part that the author put in there. And he said this, shouldn't Christians be known by the fire in their souls, the wide-eyed gratitude in their faces, the twinkle in their eyes, the holy mischief in their demeanor? Shouldn't we be the joy of the party? Shouldn't we be the, the positive force at work? Shouldn't those that call themselves Christians be filled with astonishment, amazement, and awe? Living for Jesus is not a slogan or a song. Living for Jesus is a lifestyle. And it goes contrary to about the world telling me it's all about me. And Paul goes on to say this, we regard no one according to the flesh. And this becomes really about the world versus God, about biblical worldview versus secular worldview. In Jesus' day, a secular worldview of Jesus led to his crucifixion. They had hoped Jesus would come and deliver them from their Roman rule, but instead he turned the whole religious world upside down, turned it on its ear, he challenged their whitewashed sepulchral religion. When religion is characterized by the sameness, when faith is franchised, we miss what Psalm 139 says to us, that you are fearfully and wonderfully created. We all have different skills. We have different talents and we have different spiritual gifts. We're not all the same. And if we want to pretend that we are all the same, the church will eventually die. Look at my selfie. I follow all the rules, at, at least in public. I follow all the rules, at least in word, but maybe not in heart. I was at the gym yesterday, and um, 
a friend of mine was on the treadmill and we were talking and her husband has just recently retired. And I said, what does that look like? You're not retired, he's retired. What, what's retirement look like? You know, you guys have been married for a long time. And we talked a little bit and she said, you know, marriage is like this. It's not what you see on the outside, outside of the home. Marriage is what is on the inside of the home and that's how strong your retirement's gonna be, is how strong your marriage is on the inside of the home. It's the same way with our hearts. It's not how we look on Sunday morning. It's where our hearts are at. And because Jesus didn't deliver the freedom that they looked for in their secular worldview of what the Messiah was supposed to look like, they crucified him. We regard no one according to the flesh. Many times, don't we do this in the way that we view people? What kind of clothes do they wear? What kind of home do they live in? What kind of car do they drive in? What neighborhood do they live in? Do they live on the east side of the lake or do they live on the west side of the lake? That is exactly how the religious leaders of the day saw Jesus. They saw him as someone not worthy of life, a threat to their lifestyle, And maybe we need to look at this as we start a new year. Is Jesus the homeowner of your heart or is he a house guest in your heart? If Jesus is a house guest in your heart, he doesn't own it. And he can come and go. You can kick him out when you don't want him around. And because he is a house guest, you will chase the world. You will strive to make New Year's resolutions that fail miserably because you're doing it on your own. But if he's the homeowner of your heart, he owns it, and that is a game changer. And Paul once regarded Jesus as just that, just as a human. He thought the Messiah would restore the Divinian monarchy, but Jesus died on a cross, and Paul knew that anyone who died on a cross was cursed by God, according to the book, book of Deuteronomy. Jesus to Paul was nothing more than a pretender, and maybe he is that to you today. And because of that, Paul persecuted Christians. He was there when Stephen was killed. But the Damascus Road led to a life-changing moment for Paul, a moment that he is saying he is controlled by the love of Christ, a moment that many of you can remember that, that day when it all clicked, that Jesus died on the cross and it became part of your heart. When you said, yes, I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior, where he changed the landscape of your life, where we come with a whole new outlook on life. Changed convictions led to changed attitude. Changed convictions resulted in changed lifestyles. Changed convictions have a complete change of heart where Jesus is the heart owner. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... 
He's saying because of this, therefore, because of that, one died for all and was raised. Christian brothers and sisters, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a new creation in Christ. And that is something to celebrate. The old is gone. Uh, Please, quit trying to hang on to the old. We're a new person. We're complete. The old is gone. The archaic life is gone. Think about it in, in, in technology, in, in techno- ways of technology. If I were to do a survey here today and say, how many of you have some kind of social media? The majority of this crowd, as I'm looking out there, would say, I have Facebook. The crowd that I hang out with on Tuesday night, the majority of them would say, I have TikTok or I have Instagram or I have something else. But we all have some kind of social media for the most part. We also, if not all of you, we all have email. We have phones that can send text messages, receive our emails, send our emails. We can call anybody anytime we want. It's it's a new way of life from what used to happen 15, 20 years ago. There's nobody in here, I I can probably guarantee that would say, I I would really like to go back to carrier pigeons to get my message across. You know, it's interesting, I was reading about the Revolutionary War in a book, and it would like take two weeks to get a message from New York to Philadelphia. Nobody wants to go back to that. Some of you will identify with this. None of you want to go back to that phone with that really long cord. Remember that? And if you didn't want your mother to hear what you were talking about, you would stretch the cord as far as you could. You would go around the corner and you would go into the front closet. I am speaking from experience. And I would shut the door and I would talk to my friend. So my mother would not hear. And then I would open the door suddenly and I would bust her in the head because she was listening through the door. None of us want to go back to that. Landlines, what are they? Very few send letters anymore through the mail, although on a sidebar, it is kind of fun to get a letter in the mail that's not a bill, isn't it? Uh, I had a student years ago when I was first in ministry, and he was in the Army, and uh, they didn't let him have email at the time, and we wrote back and forth, and now as I've looked over the letters a couple times, I still kept those. It's kind of cool, that part of it. But we don't want to go back to the archaic ways of life when we have the new. And when Paul says, you are a new creation in Christ, the old has passed away, it's dead to you. Why do we want to go back to that? So we can make New Year's resolutions that we'll feel better about ourselves for a few days? The old has passed away. It is out of existence. It's a new lifestyle has come to stay when we belong to Jesus. We're not on a rehab mission. Now, I like to restore old bicycles. I find them on junk piles. And so I take them home and I cuddle them for a little bit. I put them in the shed and then I start to take them apart piece by piece, sand them down, and then I repaint them and, you know, maybe the handlebars, I'll spray chrome paint on them. I make them look really good and now I have a bunch of extra bicycles that I don't know what to do with. But anyway, um, the uh, thing is with the bicycles, 
I sand down the old parts and I, I re-chrome things and I do things, but they're still the old bicycle. It just has new paint on it. It's still that heavy old frame. It's not like the new Trek frames that weigh like an ounce or anything like that. It's still the old bicycle just repainted. We are not a rehab project by God. I'm going to fix you. I'm going to make you clean. I'm going to make you dress better. I'm going to... Nope. We are a new creation in Christ. Genuine conversion begins with life transformation. And we're not reforming the old nature, but we have a complete change of heart. When Jesus comes into our lives, we have a complete change of heart. Everything is made new. We have a new heart, a new nature, a new world in my soul. I have new principles. I have a new way of thinking. I make new friends. I have new company. The old life of sin and death are gone. Yes, I still sin, but my sins are now forgiven. The selfish nature has been dealt a death blow. Old ways of thinking need to be abolished. It's a place where new life has begun. And I want to tell you something, that God is so pleased at what he has done in your life, that you are a new creation in Christ. If you go to verse 20 in this passage, it says, you are ambassadors for Christ. Think about that. God is so pleased about the new creation that he has created within you. He says, you are my ambassador. If you are ambassador for the United States or any foreign country, they tell you secrets and they, they know that you are going to have their best interest and, and you are going to do whatever it takes to promote the United States. He says, we are ambassadors for Christ. Isn't that amazing that we are representatives to a holy God who spoke creation into existence, who created you, and he calls us to be his ambassadors because of what he has done in our lives. We have eternity on our minds. A new year, a new you. It's not about New Year's resolutions. It's about you allowing God to use you in your new created life. And, and I know sometimes the world beats us down. There's family struggles. That's why we have the family series coming up. We have health struggles. Maybe, maybe there's an addiction. Maybe there's a reoccurring sin that bog us down. And we being in this world try to think it's all about me. I'm going to do better. We try to solve the problems on our own. When God says, you're a new creation. You are a new creation. We forget that. We don't have to do it on our own. But through the power that we have living inside of us, the Holy Spirit, are you a new creation in Christ? Have you made that decision to trust him? Not just because he has some really good human teachings, but that he died a criminal's death on a cross for your sins. 
For the love of Christ controls us because we are a new creation in Christ. The power of sin has been broken. The redemption of people who now live for Christ by living for others affected by the power of the Holy Spirit. Self-evaluation, smart goals, New Year's resolutions. Are they sinful? No. But if we are relying on our own power, I'm going to just tell you, they will fail. And I'm going to tell you right now, I don't know everybody in this room, but it's really on my heart that if you have never acknowledged that you are a sinner and in desperate need of a Savior, I'm going to be up here. Please come and talk to me. Because I would love to share what Jesus did on my, in my life when it all became real, when the head knowledge that I had became real in a hotel room in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It's a moment I'll never forget. It's my Damascus Road. And I would love that for you today. But if you are here and you are a believer, I want you to understand something, that you are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. And because we are new creation in Christ, it is in Christ which we live.